Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Apple has rejected a Facebook app five times now, so back to that whole debate again. Twitter lets you add audio to tweets. DoorDash raises a round. Surprise, surprise. Reliance Geo raises another monster round. And stick around for the last segment because I've got what I think is the single weirdest tech story that we've ever done on this podcast. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. The whole controversy surrounding the Hey app being rejected by Apple's App Store continues to swirl online. And actually, I've been surprised by how vehement folks have been about this issue on both sides of it. More on that in a second. But first, a lot of the initial discussion around the whole Hey thing centered on App Store policies and focused on things like selective enforcement how Apple might be willing to push around a startup or even a medium-sized player like Basecamp. But if you were a big enough player, they'd probably let you get away with stuff that they'd never let others do. Well, I wonder how this story will affect that aspect of the debate, because sources are telling the New York Times that Apple has rejected at least five versions of Facebook Gaming the new app that Facebook announced and was hoping to launch soon, centering around casual gaming. In rejecting the app, Apple cited rules for the App Store that prohibit apps that primarily distribute casual games. Now, of course, you don't get a bigger fish in the tech world than Facebook, right? But then again, people have also said that Apple can be selective about things that compete with their own offerings. And you know, funny enough, quoting the New York Times, Facebook gaming may also have been hurt by appearing to compete with Apple's own sales of games, two of the people said. Games are by far the most lucrative category of mobile apps worldwide. Apple's App Store, the only officially approved place for iPhone and iPad users to find new games and other programs, generated about $15 billion in revenue last year, end quote. Ah, so maybe Apple doesn't want an app on iDevices that competes with the App Store. Quoting again, Facebook initially submitted its gaming app to Apple for approval in late February, said the people with knowledge of the situation. Apple rejected that version, they said, citing section 4.7 of its app rules, which state that HTML5 games are allowed, quote, as long as code distribution isn't the main purpose of the app and the code is not offered in a store or store-like interface, among other restrictions. But the initial version of the gaming app that Facebook showed to Apple was similar to the Android version, listing games by category in a manner that could be interpreted as store-like. Trying to get the gaming app through Apple's review process, Facebook then changed the design of the presentation of games in several ways, the people said. The colorful icons were removed in favor of a bland listing. The different games categories were removed to list all games at once. The ability to sort games was also taken away, end quote. 
So what was that line from Ben Thompson from yesterday? Ah, yes, here it is. Inventing the App Store does not mean Apple gets 30% of all digital goods or should be allowed to diminish the user experience of its competitors. Now, as I said, there is plenty of debate on both sides of this brouhaha. So let me sum up what maybe we can call the dovish argument with these tweets from Walt Mossberg, who, of course, I respect enormously. Quote, I'm not weighing in on the growing controversy about the complex rules applied to developers in Apple's App Store. Just based on what I've read, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple is forced to change some of them. But I want to make three points that people seem to forget. First, in free markets, any merchant is free to receive a fee or share of the price of the goods it distributes to consumers. This is not a tax. You're free to think 30% is too much to sell your app on a phone with about a 10% global share, but it's not a tax. Second, there's a history to this. Before the App Store, Carriers controlled which apps would make it onto phones and often took most of the revenue, 50%, 70% more. I was there when Steve Jobs announced Apple would only take a 30% cut and a room full of developers cheered. Third, even if some of the rules are judged illegal or unfair, I personally value Apple's tight control of third-party app distribution as a guard against most malware and a protection of privacy. I favor curation, end quote. This was announced late yesterday, so not only might you already have heard about this, you even might have seen it already happening in the wild. Twitter is slowly rolling out the ability to add up to 140 seconds of audio to tweets, provided you're an iOS user and provided you can wait to be among the early lucky duckies that get to do this, quoting The Verge. If you've got access to it, you'll see a new waveform icon beside the camera icon when composing a tweet. Tap that, and a red record button appears at the bottom of the screen, which you can tap to start recording your message. Each voice tweet captures up to 140 seconds of audio. Have more to say? Keep talking. Once you reach the time limit for a tweet, a new voice tweet starts automatically to create a thread, Twitter said. Audio can only be added to original tweets, according to this help page, so you can't include them in replies or retweets with a comment. Another minor thing to note is that whatever your profile picture is when you record an audio clip will always be attached to that audio tweet. Your current profile photo will be added as a static image on your audio attachment and will not refresh if you update your profile photo, Twitter says, end quote. I saw Kara Swisher post one of these new audio tweets this morning, so check her timeline if you want to see this in action. But my first thought when I read this was something along the lines of what Joshua Benton tweeted. And granted, I just read you that section about not being able to do audio tweets and replies, but still, quote, Real talk. How will voice Twitter impact the Nazis and abusive trolls on here? Now they'll be able to send you their own voice calling you terrible things. And abusive audio tweets will be harder to detect slash identify slash block than abusive text tweets. The common way of capturing an abusive tweet is to screenshot it so that if the abuser deletes it or makes their account private, there is evidence. How's that going to work with audio tweets? End quote. But hey, Twitter, turn this on for me and as a stunt... I'll see if I can tweet an entire podcast episode as a tweet storm.
This is one of those days where suddenly there's so much news, I'm going to have to get creative if I'm going to fit it all into today's show. So I'm going to start mashing several things together into segments. So let's start with this one, because I compare these two stories as stories that are both about major U-turns. First, the UK has apparently abandoned its own coronavirus tracing app approach and is apparently shifting to the model based on the technology provided by Google and Apple, quoting the BBC. The government now intends to launch an app in the autumn. However, it says the product may not involve contact tracing at that point. Instead, the software may be limited to enabling users to report their symptoms and order a test. Baroness Dido Harding, who heads up the wider test and trace program, will only give the green light to actually deploying the Apple Google technology if she decides it has been made fit for purpose, which is not the case at present. Germany, Italy, and Denmark are among other countries to have switched from a so-called centralized approach to a decentralized one, end quote. And for the second U-turn, Zoom has apparently backtracked on end-to-end encryption, now saying that it does plan to offer end-to-end encryption to all tiers of users so long as they verify their phone numbers. And they're going to start testing this out as soon as July, quoting Bloomberg. Zoom said previously it would reserve this feature for large corporate clients who paid for the service. About 70,000 internet users signed two petitions this week urging Zoom to give full encryption to everyone in the interest of cyber safety for those who can't afford a subscription. U.S. Senators Sherrod Brown, an Ohio Democrat, and Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, have blasted the software maker for not offering end-to-end encryption, though the company earlier had claimed it did, end quote. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air-knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. 
Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. And this one is just going to be a straight up omnibus segment where I cram in a whole bunch of stories. Let me reel this off to sort of rapid fire. First, DoorDash has raised $400 million, led by Durable Capital Partners, at a $16 billion post-money valuation. As Dan Primack wrote in Pro Rata this morning, quote, For all the talk of deals that didn't happen because of coronavirus, this one is a product of the pandemic. On February 27th, DoorDash secured $340 million in debt funding and filed confidential IPO paperwork. There were no plans to raise additional private equity at that time, Then the pandemic changed the meal delivery giant's plans. For starters, delivery volume soared due to the lockdowns. DoorDash also had new expenses, such as personal protective equipment for drivers and what it says was around $120 million worth of comped services to help beleaguered restaurant partners. There also were concerns about market volatility, although most IPO issuers have sailed through smoothly. Plus, Recently, the prospect of strengthened competition via an Uber-Grubhub merger that ultimately became a just-eat-Grubhub merger, end quote. So does this new round raise make it more or less likely that we'll see a DoorDash IPO in the coming months? Unclear. And another huge round for Reliance Geo platforms from, again, one of the biggest pools of capital in the world. Saudi Arabia's public investment fund is purchasing a $1.5 billion stake in Reliance Geo Platforms. Quoting TechCrunch, With this deal, Geo Platforms, which is India's largest telecom operator with over 388 million subscribers, has secured $15.2 billion from 10 investors, including social giant Facebook, in the past nine weeks by selling a 24.7% stake in its business. For some comparison, India's entire startup ecosystem raised $14.5 billion in all of last year in what was its best year on record, end quote. And then let's see here. Spotify has signed a multi-year deal with Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment to produce and distribute original scripted podcasts centered on the DC universe. And Kim Kardashian West has apparently reached a deal with Spotify for a podcast about her work with The Innocence Project, which seeks to clear wrongly convicted people. YouTube has a new shoppable video ad unit that you might start seeing soon with clickable product images that link to the advertising brand's product. And finally, this is super weird. German payments group Wirecard says 1.9 billion euro worth of cash is missing. That's right, they can't find 1.9 billion euros, and that is sending shares of the company crashing, quoting the Financial Times. The company was told by EY that there were indications a trustee of Wirecard bank accounts had attempted, quote, to deceive the auditor, and that, quote, spurious cash balances might have been provided to EY by a third party. This disclosure left Wirecard unable to release its 2019 results as it had planned to do on Thursday and gives banks the option of terminating around 2 billion euros worth of loans unless they are published by Friday, June 19th. 
In a statement, Wirecard said it was, quote, working intensively together with the auditor towards a clarification of the situation, end quote. The revelation caps a tumultuous period for Wirecard, a company long regarded as a great hope for Germany's tech sector, but one that has spent the past 18 months battling to allay concerns over its accounting. The Financial Times reported in October that Wirecard staff appeared to have conspired to fraudulently inflate sales and profits at Wirecard subsidiaries in Dubai and Dublin and misled EY, the group's auditor, for a decade. In December, the Financial Times reported that so-called escrow accounts controlled on the behalf of Wirecard and certain partners by trustees were used to boost the group's cash balances, end quote. If you think that was weird, you ain't heard nothing yet. I had actually passed on doing this story earlier in the week because it seemed so weird and it seemed like it was probably just some sort of one-off, but suddenly it's become a story that keeps on giving, so I can't ignore it anymore. Let me catch you up. Six former employees of eBay have been charged with leading a cyber-stalking campaign against a couple in suburban Massachusetts that they believed were overly critical of eBay in their online commerce newsletter. Quoting CBS Local Boston, U.S. Attorney Andrew Lelling said the eBay employees' harassment included sending the couple disturbing deliveries that included a bloody pig mask, a box of live cockroaches, and a funeral wreath. The employees also allegedly sent anonymous threatening messages and traveled to Massachusetts to conduct covert surveillance of the victims. It was a determined, systematic effort of senior employees of a major company to destroy the lives of a couple in Natick all because they published content company executives didn't like, said Lelling. Lelling said the Natick couple serves as editor and publisher for an online newsletter that covers e-commerce companies. According to prosecutors, members of eBay's executive leadership team followed the newsletter and took issue with the content and anonymous comments under the stories. In 2019, two members of the leadership team allegedly sent or forwarded text messages saying it was time to, quote, take down the newsletter's editor. One of the messages said the group wanted to crush this lady referring to the editor, end quote. So that's wild. But wait, there's more. eBay has just confirmed that ex-CEO Devin Wenig is the person who allegedly ordered the six eBay employees to initiate the cyberstalking campaign in the first place. Quoting from Wired. On August 30th, the company placed three of the employees on administrative leave. In a statement posted on its website on Monday, eBay said it had terminated all involved employees in September 2019. Former eBay CEO Devin Wenig also left the company that month. While he isn't named in the criminal complaint, eBay confirmed that he is Executive One, who allegedly gave the initial order to take her down, which was then relayed to Bob by Executive Two. The company also confirmed Wednesday that Executive Two is former Chief Communications Officer Steve Weimer. Bloomberg News first reported Weimer's connection. Neither is charged with any crime. Quote, The internal investigation found that while Mr. Wenig's communications were inappropriate, There was no evidence that he knew in advance about or authorized the actions that were later directed towards the blogger and her husband, eBay's statement says. However, as the company previously announced, there were a number of considerations leading to Mr. Wenig's departure from the company, end quote. Yeah, I guess so, because, I mean, this was weird. 
Let me stress how weird by quoting one more time. On August 16th, members of eBay's team allegedly tailed the couple in a rented Dodge Caravan. Their surveillance team was listening to the local police dispatch. When the couple reported they were being followed, the crew peeled off. That night, court documents say three of the defendants ran up a $750 bill at a Boston restaurant, batting around more potential deliveries like chainsaws, human feces, and a dead rat. In the middle of the night, they sent an emergency plumber to the home. The surveillance continued, prosecutors say, as did the harassment. A little after midnight on August 18th, a classified ad appeared on Craigslist, prompting a week-long block party for swingers slash couples slash singles and listed the victim's Nantic address. Visitors were encouraged to arrive after 10 p.m. and to, quote, knock on the door, ring the doorbell any time of day or night. That afternoon, the complaint says the two Eli account posted their names and addresses on Twitter as well. A few minutes later, a direct message. You get my gifts? Well, I can't say that word. End quote. So, I think this is officially the weirdest story we've ever done. Let me have Jason Howell sum it up with this tweet. What the actual F... This is one of those stories where, outside looking in, it's impossible to understand how anyone involved didn't have the foresight or ethical pang to remind them that this was a horrible idea with only bad outcomes for all involved, end quote. Wow. Slow summer news day. This was not. But I at least mentioned everything that I wanted to mention, so I think I caught it all. Talk to y'all tomorrow.